he said, okay, I want you to do the high C to the super high C, and I want to see if you can hit it. And he goes, and, and if you can't, that's fine. Just um, just make it funny. And I thought, oh, this will be hilarious. Because I, I had thought it was going to be an A to an A. Yeah. And and I practiced that, and I could barely hit the A. And I'm yeah. like, oh, the C is going to yeah. be a joke. And, and so I just kind of belted it away, and I hit it. Oh, good. And, and I shocked myself. I was like... I've never done that before. Yeah. I don't have to do, I don't have to do that every night. <laughs> well, that was, a, that was a good time to do it right then. The National Institute for Mental Health states that depression is a common but serious mood disorder. Its symptoms can affect how you think, how you act, how you feel, how you eat, sleep, and work. Eve has a family history of mental illness. Her parents divorced when she was a child, and since that time, she has dealt with severe depression on and off for her entire life. She shares with us her story on this episode. I was born in Provo. My parents um, are both converts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they both, so they both came to BYU kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and um really it, it was in the 70s you know they wanted to have the perfect family um they both felt inspired by god to get married and um they had three kids really fast um me i was born in 78 my brother jack was born in 79 and my brother matt was born in 82 and so my mom it was really rough on her body having children um she she's the she's someone who doesn't dilate and she had us naturally. And so, um, it was 48 hour labors. She, her body was basically devastated by birth. And so she was really ill after and, um, with three little kids and a broken body, it was hard on her. Um, my mom is an absolute perfectionist. And so she was, perfect homemaker she was also a teacher she um she studied theater was a theater teacher but she st- was home with us we i remember making homemade bread with her and learning our numbers and our abcs i homeschooled part of elementary um and then when i was 11 my parents marriage just kind of crumbled um and looking back my mom has said I wish I had known that I, that I was allowed to be okay with your dad, with your dad's depression. He had, he had lost his job. He was diagnosed bipolar and they, he wasn't perfect. And my mom didn't handle it perfectly. And their, their need to maintain that perfect family just kind of crumbled and both of them made big mistakes. Um, I also look back and as a person who got married at 37, my mom had me when she was 22. And so I look back and like, of course you made mistakes. You were babies. You were just little babies. Uh, Right. (laughs) So um, it's been really interesting watching my parents learn from those lessons. And so, um, my mom remarried a few months later, my stepdad, and he had three children and we moved from Centerville up by Salt Lake to, um, Tremont with my mom. 
And my dad remarried a lady who had four daughters and he lived in West Jordan. And we would visit my dad occasionally, but back then it wasn't quite such a partnership with divorced parents. Um, and, and so I saw my dad, but not, not as much as I would have liked to. There were, there was a lot of tension between my mom and my dad too. Um, and I never felt safe. Um, I always felt, I was always trying really hard to please my dad, right, trying hard to please my mom and take care of their illnesses. Like I could tell my dad was sad and with, with his bipolar and my mom, I knew she was depressed and she would go from angry to loving. Um, she didn't punish us, but she would remove her love. You could just tell she would just stop being caring. And that was really hard on me. Um, and on my dad's side, just thinking about it, my Nana's grandmother, my, so my great, great grandmother was in a mental hospital. They were from a very rich family, but she, after she had her children, she went into the mental hospital. Um, and there's just a few, like in the family history, you can see it. It wasn't unusual for me to, to be depressed, but, um, in, as a teenager, I suffered from a lot of depression, but I wasn't sure if it was physical or if it was just the circumstances of my life um, with my parents fighting all the time. We, we have two sons that have autism, my two stepsons have autism and we weren't sure if Dan, the younger one had autism because he wasn't anything like his older brother, but somebody said, well, you don't have any, there's no reference. Like I can't, I don't have another child to compare him to to go, oh yeah, he's acting differently than other children. So, and it was the same thing with my, with my childhood. Sometimes I was perfectly happy. Other times I was really sad. Some things that happened to me, I look back and I'm like, I don't think that experience is normal. Um, but I don't, I only have my childhood as a reference. So I don't really know. I, I have learned though, that if I become physically ill, like with the flu or with a cold, I'm fine. I can handle that. I can handle that a hundred percent. If I am depressed, I am out. I can't, I cannot function. Um, it's almost like I'd rather be throwing up <laughs> than be depressed. Uh, so I, I was on antidepressants a little bit in college. I don't remember being diagnosed. I think I went to, I probably went to the health center at BYU and because I, I went to BYU after high school and I got on some antidepressants there. And then I remember on my mission becoming really depressed. And I remember feeling like I needed to go home. And I told my mission president, I fasted like two days and I never not eat. I love eating. And I said, I feel like I need, I feel like my mission's over and I need to go home. And he said, well, you were called for 18 months. So let's stick it out. And I said, okay, I'll listen to you. Whatever you, you know, you tell me that's fine. I, I wasn't, I didn't feel strongly about it. I just felt like it's done and I was fine staying. I just needed to tell him. And finally he got, he called my home doctor and I was able to get back on antidepressants that I'd been off of. And so that was good. 
but then when I came home, I was still depressed and the psychiatrist said, you're on the wrong meds. And I think that's the biggest thing with depression is figuring out what kind of depression you have. What are the meds that are going to work for you? It's like simply making the discovery, I need antidepressants is not at all the first step. Like it's not, you're not done. It's the barely the minimal step. Then you have to figure out, you know, what kind, where are you at? What, what will help you the most? And I remember the psychologist or the psychiatrist that I saw at BYU, he ha he was with other students who were watching him and he said, oh, she's a clear case of bipolar. And I'm like, no, what? And my brother, Jack, who is 18 months younger than I am, all through my mission, he was at the Utah State Mental Hospital um, for being, um, I don't even know what his official diagnosis was. He he had he was bipolar he was also on drugs he was also psychotic um there were some psychotic episodes i never felt like i was bipolar because i i never it wasn't as serious as my dad's or my brother's and so i never felt like it was as serious so i basically was just on antidepressants there's there's the depression you're born with and then there's the depression as a result of the circumstances in your life and there were a lot of circumstances that brother jack he died of a heroin overdose when i was 25 um, or 26 and that was hard because he had um he had confessed some pretty awful acts that he had done to me when we were in high school that i never remembered um and he had said i need you to forgive me so that i can quit drugs because i'm he said i'm on drugs because i did these things to you and i feel guilty and i was like oh so i'm the reason your life is ruined great that's fun yeah. and i wanted i wanted him to quit drugs so i of course told him that i forgave him and then six months later he called me and he said i really want to go back to drugs i I want you to be okay with it. I want to still have your forgiveness. And I said, no, you don't have my forgiveness if you go back. And and he did anyway. Um, and he, a couple weeks later, was dead from a heroin overdose. And so mourning him, trying to be able to forgive him, but also mourn him. We were very close, and I, I do love him. Um, but it was hard combining forgiveness with mourning um and so for a few years i was depressed with, from that and then my parents dealing with losing a child parents don't handle that well it's not easy for them and that that was rough but you you learn and you grow um and i've done therapy a few times i discovered emotion code about five years ago where you work with someone who will muscle test what emotion your subconscious is ready to let go of. And what's nice about it is it, it's oftentimes emotions that you've dealt with in therapy that your body has kind of held on to, And it gives the emotion it's five minutes of fame. It's like, okay, I did feel this. I, I had this experience. I love you. Thank you for being a witness to my pain and let it go. And so I did a lot of that work, which was great.
I've never heard of that before. It's, it's energy work. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's a little hocus pocusy, but, but really like the premise is, is quite logical. You know, I mean, you have, we have these experiences where our feelings about what happened are witness to our pain, to that experience, you know? So if I felt anger because somebody slapped me, that anger that sits inside my belly is a witness that it, that, that event happened. And so as I'm able to let go of that event, I also need to let go of that anger and say, thank you for being with me at that time. And I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let the energy of that emotion evolve into love and gratitude. And so that's a good part of that. When you mentioned about how it sounds hocus pocusy, I think that it's amazing how a mental illness, it brings you into the depths of humility that you are really willing to open your mind and try things that maybe before you would have never thought worked. Like for me, I was all like the oils yeah. thing. I was like, come on, like this is garbage. That's what I used to think. But then I got to a point where I got so low and I needed another alternative that wasn't just these pills I was taking. And so I started looking into some of these ideas and it's, it's amazing what your circumstances will do to help broaden your mind. And, and I think we're also witnesses to how little, seemingly little things can cripple us. And so it's like, if this random event can cripple me, then perhaps this random event can heal me. You know, like we, we can give, credence to things that might not other people might not give credence to because we've seen how small things can real what power small things have you know I've studied theater and music and I find that as I sing um, I'm able to really connect with my physical body Um, I, I in theater I do I do great with comedy I'm very good with outside in work um, because there are so many times where if I were to touch base with my emotions, it's, it's a cascade and it's too much. You know, there's some actors who are like, oh, I touch base with that. And I just let it go. It's like, I can't like, cause I wouldn't be able to stop crying. Like that's, that would, it would be too much. So, so there was one part where I, I was doing a Shakespeare play and, I was playing a woman who just lost her children, but I was also playing a soldier because we were cast as multiple parts in the same play. So here I am on the floor keening and weeping over my lost children. And then I had like two minutes to become a soldier. And so what I did is I did a gesture to get into it. Like I'd kneel and I would rock back and forth and I would wail. Um, And so as far as the audience knew, I was absolutely sobbing, but it was the gesture of it that would pull me in. But then as soon as the gesture ended, I was able to stop it and it's okay. Um, So I've studied my feelings and the intentions behind feelings and tactics and why we do things and how gestures communicate for so long um, with theater. And I, I think that's part of helping me to explore, um, my depression and the circumstances of my childhood. Um, I've, I've, I want to know myself. I want to understand. I like writing a lot. I'm, I wrote a book last year. And so the book I wrote was just the daily thoughts. And I was writing about trying to lose weight. And at while I was trying to lose weight, we diagnosed our youngest with autism 
and we faced a lot of family problems and and so it's not really about me losing weight at all it's about the distractions that come on your journey to try to do things um i i still suffer from depression because it's part of my nature it's it's part of my ancestry and part of who i am and i've had fights with my mom this year that have that have been really rough and looking back at my relationship with her over the past you know 40 years um and so i started therapy again in september and started doing emdr with her and releasing some of the trauma um i'm really trying to understand why i'm so overweight because i feel like that's connected more with my mind than with anything else i want to understand why it is that i eat that I don't, it's not why I make unhealthy choices when I know better. So I wanted to ask when you were talking about, um, it, I was so fascinated when you were talking a little bit about the, your acting experience with Shakespeare and how you would kind of get into those emotions with the gesture. And I wonder um, when you said, and you also said that depression is part of your nature. And I wonder if the fact that you feel things so deeply and so to the point of all consuming do you think that's what makes you a good artist i feel like i don't feel things as deeply i feel like i function in a trial and then i suppress the feelings i feel like i think i'm feeling them but i suppress them and instead of actually working through the anger or the sadness because I was always, I always wanted to be the good girl and I didn't want to cause waves. And my parents themselves were going through their trials. I needed to function. I needed to continue going to school and getting good grades and doing all the right things. So I would suppress my feelings and then have to go on stage and perform or, you know, like, cause I was always doing theater as a child too. Um, and so I would, you know, go on stage and, rather than connecting emotionally, if I were to connect emotionally, then all the emotions I was feeling about what was happening all around me would make me out of control. So I would, I would use gesture to tap into the emotion, but then tap out quickly because otherwise then I would feel the emotions because I wasn't allowing myself to feel them. They would make themselves known in other ways by my being incredibly tired um, incredibly sad, like where I, but I, I would still function, but I would go to bed early and sleep in, and then I would eat and eat to fill the holes. And so I, I don't think I was good at dealing with my emotions at all. I probably just sort of fell prey to a stereotype, which is people who are depressed. It's because they are feeling a lot, you know, like yeah. they're feeling sad or they're, or if they're bipolar, they're feeling manic or they're feeling, feeling, feeling. And really it's maybe it's a lack of feeling, right? Your body is going to feel it whether you like it or not. And it's like, I didn't want to feel it. And so then my body would feel it in not in being so incredibly tired. Um, I, I, my husband, he has a lot of anxiety and he'll get really angry. And I one time said to him, it's like, you realize your anger is a privilege. Like you're able to express your anger because you feel safe that. And I have always shut off my anger because I never felt safe. I, I never felt like my anger mattered. And so instead I would, I would 
swallow it. And then it would just make me ill. <laughs> Before I actually, right after I met my husband, I think, um, I went to a psychiatrist because I needed to get back on my antidepressants because I knew I'd met somebody special and I didn't want to ruin it by being, um, the same way I had for years. Like, I'm like, I need to be mentally on my game because this relationship is important to me. So I went to visit her and we talked for three hours and she said, um, cause I said, well, I, I've been told I'm bipolar and I have depression and she asked me so many questions. And then she said, I don't think you you're bipolar. She goes, I think you have ADHD. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's impossible. Like I was always yeah. a good student. I mean, I have two master's degrees. Like I am like, Oh, she goes, no, no, you're very good at coping with it, but you have, you just have really good coping skills. But part of your depression is that you are exhausted from coping. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it, it rang so completely true to me. And I started reading about it and realized, oh my gosh. So she put me on ADHD meds and antidepressants. And my life has, I was able to get married I'm, a, I'm able to parent. I'm able to do so much um, that I wasn't able to do before. Um, I I would change jobs every year, every nine months, maybe. Like and and since then, I've had the same job. So it it was a real it was a huge eye opener for me. What are some of the things that you feel like your mental illness has prevented you from being able to do or enjoy? Um, my job right now is that I manage a storage facility. And it has nothing to do with the degrees that I have. Um, I have always thought that I would like to be a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. Um, but there are times, um, many times where I can barely function. And my job is one of those where if I can't function, I can go in and sit at my desk and answer a phone call and get that done. If I'm feeling like I am up to, if, if I'm feeling normal, like a normal person, um, then I get a lot more done and I will do advertisements and I'll make calls and I'll do certain things. But because I can function in the job, even on my worst day, it's, it's a job I can keep. I chose that job because of the comfort of it's nine to six. And it's the same, and I'm right next to a bathroom, um, and I don't have to work around other people. I'm by myself, because sometimes when I get really depressed, I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, and so I'm able to go to work every day, whereas like if I was a teacher, I don't think I would keep my job. Right, right. So with your husband, um, you said he has anxiety and how have you guys best supported each other with these mental difficulties that you've had? He understanding my depression, like he shows me this unconditional love, like on days where I don't wake up till 1230 and I barely move. He's just like, I just love you so much. There's, we understand that we, we want to show one another that we love each other for exactly who we are on the best and on the worst days. And understanding one another's mental illnesses 
helps us to do that. Um, one thing like last year, he was really feeling depressed and my dad noticed it. I was just kind of getting bugged. I'm like, he's so angry. What's going on with him? You know? And my dad said, I didn't, hadn't said anything to my dad, but he goes, I think Antonio is really depressed. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I have not, I, I haven't even paid attention to that. And so I said, I said to him, was like, I think you're depressed and I would love for you to get some help. And as part of the conversation, I just said, I can't make you happy. Um, and that's one of the things that we have conversed about and kind of, it's one of the themes of our marriage is we can love each other for exactly who we are, but he is not responsible for my happiness and I am not responsible for his happiness. We are responsible for our own happiness. And so he made those made appointments with the doctor he went and saw a therapist. He got on um, meds that would help him. And it was really neat to see him take responsibility for his happiness. And so then this year when I was feeling really sad, I said, I, he said to me, he goes, I think you need to look at therapy. And I was like, I do. But it was the same kind of thing. It's like I was responsible for that. And so um, it's been good to support each other and love each other, but also remind each other that we are individually responsible for our happiness. So now at the, at where you are now and seeing everything that you've been through and, and how far you've come, what would be your biggest piece of advice to people who deal with chronic depression? A friend of mine, Clarissa, her husband is a psychiatrist with the military. And his wife passed away. Um, Clarissa is his second wife. And we talked about how structure is a really great way to help deal with depression. Um, getting up at the same time, exercising every day, um, doing, taking a shower or taking a drink of water. Um, one thing that I will do is the 100 second thing where... I go back, there's the thought, an object in motion stays in motion. So if I am, if I'm completely wrecked and on my couch and like not doing anything, I'm not going to move. But if I can get myself moving for a hundred seconds, sometimes I will stay in motion. That's really great. And then I'll continue to accomplish things. But if I don't, that's okay. Like I'll just do a hundred seconds of the dishwasher. And if I don't get it all the way done and I go back to my place on the couch, that's okay. I, I'm okay. But usually it propels me into emotion and that's nice. I love that, that an object in motion stays in motion. I, that's so clever. I, I really like that a lot. It's true. Once you take that first step to get out of bed, which can sometimes be so hard. Once you do that, it's much easier from there. Be where you are. You know, like this friend who just lost his wife, he was depressed because he had just lost his wife. Um, If you've had a really busy week where you've had a lot of anxious contacts with people, a lot of rules have changed, a lot of of balls thrown in your court, be okay with being where you are. Um, That's difficult for a neurotypical mind. It's difficult for people who completely have it together. So if your body does not handle the stresses very well 
understand that and let yourself be there. Like, it doesn't mean that you're bad at managing your mental illness. It means that you have a mental illness that requires a little bit of extra time and love. And so be where you are.